0: He is our one defense, and He certainly is our righteousness. I hope that you know deeply how much we need Him. How much we need Him, not only for salvation, not only for uh, heaven and eternity someday in the future. How much we need Him day by day, minute by minute, every hour. I need you. I like to hike. You guys hikers? When I was, I like to hike. I like to backpack. I like being on the trails. Uh, don't go as often as I would like to, or wish I would nowadays. But when I was young, our family took a vacation to Table Rock, and we were camping out. And we had extended family there. My cousin Diane was there. My twin brother and I. We were young. Probably, I don't know how old is Caleb. Caleb, how old are you? Ten. ten. So we were about nine or ten years old. Um, and my sister is a year older. Uh, My younger sister is five years younger, and my parents were pleased to allow the four of us to go off with my cousin, Diane, who is a little bit older than we are. And so we decided that we were going to go down the Carrick's Creek Trail at Table Rock. You guys familiar with it? We did pretty good, except for one turn. And we took the wrong turn, and we started heading up toward the top of Table Rock. We didn't know. We thought we were still on the trail. Uh, I think probably Diane had some idea that we were on the wrong trail, but we decided, let's just follow this trail. It'll, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll have a great time following this trail. And we began to climb up Table Rock. I, I did not mention that it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. When the sun started coming down, Diane began to get a little nervous and said, Maybe we should turn around and go back down. We're going to end up on the trail in the dark. By the way, you guys know Carrots Creek is a loop. And it's pretty short. My parents were at the bottom of the mountain at the campsite expecting our soon and quick return. And we didn't make it back. We kept it. time passed an hour, two hours. We ended up coming down the mountain on the trail in the dark getting back to the campsite about an hour after, about the time my parents were ready to call the park rangers. Have you guys ever been lost? Our experiences coming down the trail started out as a great adventure. Our experience going up the trail started out as a great adventure, but we got off track. And getting off track was great. There were more little waterfalls there. There were rock faces to climb up. It was a fun way to go. It was just the wrong way to go. And coming down, we went through all of those challenges and all of those emotions. I don't know if you guys have ever been just physically exhausted coming down a mountain trail, but um, there's a rest stop on the trail on the way up to Table Rock, which we were really interested in coming back. As a matter of fact, my brother and I decided we weren't going to go any further. We were just going to stop right there. We would let someone come and find us, or we would spend the night there. I mean, we're camping. We're outside anyway. But it was a scary, scary experience. Ultimately, looking back on it, there was some adventure, there was some interest. But I will tell you right now, it is easy to get off the trail, and easy for that to become a hazard, no matter how appealing it looks like at the beginning. In the letter to the book of, uh, to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul is giving them a warning, and he's giving them a warning. That they stay faithful and walk in step with Jesus. That they walk with him and that they not be led astray. That they not be taken off the trail. And I will tell you that we have an enemy. You guys know from the book of 2 Peter. You know from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know that we have an enemy who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know that Satan does not want you to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's happy to give you religion and rules. He's happy to give you activities that are based and built in your flesh. But he does not want you to experience redemption and salvation. And he does not want you to experience the life of Christ dependent upon him for God's glory in the process of sanctification. Here's, here's Satan works. It would be great if it was just overt evil. Because we know what overt evil looks like, right? Well, at least we have some idea. We, we know... That sometimes we can look at traps and whether we yield to them or not, we know that there are traps going into them. We know that there are traps just by seeing them. But Satan is deceitful and he is a liar. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that he dresses up like an angel and he invites us off the trail. He invites us to stop walking with Jesus. He's continually working to take our eyes off of Christ and to put them on other things. Even things that look good and things that sound good. Things that we are comfortable with. Even things that can be difficult for us to do, but they give us a sense of accomplishment when they do them. He will fill up our schedule. He will fill up our schedule with good things to keep us from the things that are most needful. Those things that keep our eyes upon Jesus. Those things that keep our minds and our heart in His Word. He'll do what He can to turn our joy to drudgery. To turn our thanksgiving to a critical spirit. To turn our peace to worry and anxiety. And to compromise or silence your witness entirely. And that's the theme of this passage in verse 4. Which we've already read. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Things that sound good. Things that would seem to make sense. And then again in verse 8. See that no one does what? takes you captive. How? By philosophy, by by empty deceit, according to human tradition, and according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This text is one that I need. This text is one that we need. In this era, in this day of Christian, quote-unquote, books, and Christian, quote-unquote, podcasts, in this day of what seems to be good teaching, but is not biblical, scriptural teaching we need to make sure that we are firmly rooted and grounded. As he says here, rooted and grounded and built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. More than ever, folks, more than ever, we need to make sure that we are walking with Him. I've got kind of a theme that runs through this that, that is in the text that we'll see over and over again, and it is simply that Jesus is all. You remember as we went through... Chapter 1, the focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is all, and he is all that we need. And like Paul, my desire, he was, in our introduction, he, he prayed for the church at Laodicea and for others who had not seen him face to face, not so that he could broaden his circle of friends, not because he was the only one who had the answer, but because... He knew truth. He was an apostle sent from God to make disciples. And his prayer for them was that their hearts would be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is all, and He is all we need. And so... Like Paul, for them, for us, we want to be encouraged. We want to be knit together in love. We want to pursue Christ, who is all that we need. And so we continue to walk with him. This is the the point that I I think that kind of comes to the fore here it's the person of Christ, who he is that we need to pursue and that we need to keep our eyes on. That's the walking with. We need to make sure that we are staying in step with Jesus. As a Christian, you guys will know this, there's always a tendency to stop, to take a rest, to stop at the shelter on the way down the trail. To coast apathy is a big deal in the Christian life. Complacency is a continual temptation. We're here, we're comfortable, we do this, we do this in this way and it was an encouraging day or a good day, and so church was good. I feel like I'm okay in my Christian life. It is also a temptation for us to be fervent in the wrong direction. That's why we need to make sure that we're walking with Christ. And so we need to first point on your outline if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to. So we need to make sure that we keep moving forward, that we continue to walk. So walk in Him There's a hymn that I was raised upon. By the way, thank you for the music this morning. I love the songs that we sing. They're theologically accurate and so reflective and appropriate for the message. But there's a hymn I was raised on that was called, I Am Resolved. Are you guys familiar with it? I am resolved, no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. And the chorus is, I will hasten, hurry, I will, I will hasten to him. Hasten so glad and free, who? Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. And that's what we need to make sure that we are resolved to keep moving. Uh, Suzanne and I went to a program Tuesday night in support of the Christian Learning Centers. I don't know if you know this uh, ministry or not. They do release time. They Are allowed to bring middle school and high school kids off of campus to an accredited Bible study course and then take them back to campus. It is a great ministry. I hope that we will have, we are pursuing how we can partner with them and other ministries that focus on on school students, particularly in the communities that we serve. the, uh, they had a middle and high school students who were there stationed at the doors serving as greeters and as hosts. And this took place at the convention center off of 291. And if you've been there, you may remember that there are escalators to take you from the lower entrance to the main floor. you guys been in there and seen those long escalators that go up? There's one up and one down. Now, I like escalators. I like escalators because when I'm not in a hurry, I can move forward with no effort on my part. But when I am in a hurry, I can double my effectiveness on an es- escalator. Um, while we were going up the up e- escalator, there were a couple of middle school boys who were trying to go up the down escalator. Have you ever been there? It is, not, uh, it is not advisable. I will tell you that these boys were having a good time, but they were having limited success. For a while, they were able to keep up and even advance some, but ultimately they gave up, and they let the escalator take them back down to where they started. And I, I may add that they were... Greeted by an unhappy (laughs) chaperon when they got there. Um, In the Christian life, sometimes it, it may feel like you're trying to go up the down escalator. But the Christian life is just hard. It's trudging. We need to make sure that we are on the right path, that we're on the right direction, and that we are being empowered... By Jesus, by the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is all and is all we need. Paul uses specific words here. He says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, received is paralumbano, which means to receive in its entirety, to receive completely, the whole package. As we have received him, we're to walk in him. We receive him by grace, through faith. Again, in verse 7, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, the, the, the foundation, the eternal Word of God expressed first to the apostles and then as those words were written down in Scripture are the means by which we make sure that we walk step by step with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an exhortation here. I'll just throw this out. It is that we need to be in the Word of God that we need to be students of the Word of God. And I am not going to get on the soapbox here, I promise. There's, there's, There's a lot in this text I want us to cover, 17 verses in one sermon. But folks, we're going to stand before Christ one day in His presence and be held accountable for how much we know of Him. Be held accountable for how much we know of His Word and the truth that He has conveyed to us and preserved for us and given to us. It is the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that examines the motives and intents of our hearts. It is the Word of God that God has given to us and, and preserved for us, that teaches us all that we know and all that we need to know about Jesus Christ and grace. In the gospel, it is the Word of God that sanctifies us, that equips us for service, that is the means by which God renews our minds and transforms us from the way that we used to live in the world and conforms us to the image of Christ. It is the Word of God that God continues to breathe into us as we pray and as we eat upon His Word mixed metaphor, but as we as we feast upon his word, I am concerned that sometimes we are more guilty of being described in Hebrews chapter 5. When the writer of Hebrews was so excited to teach them, he's taught them about rest, he's taught them about the person of Christ, he's dealt with the issue of angels and, and he wants to further unfold who Christ is and who he is according to the line of Melchizedek, but in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. You can just sense this frustration. He says, about this, we have so much to say, and it is hard to explain. But it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, the basics, the foundational truths. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled, In the word of righteousness, he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, understanding, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We have no excuse. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit, the author of the word of God who indwells us. We need to be people to keep walking with Jesus, to keep in step with Christ, to, to so walk in Him so we continue in the teaching that we have, that God has preserved for us in the Word of God. One thing that not being a student of the Word does is it leaves us open to make up our own definition of Christianity. If we're not listening to God, we can discuss and choose, and we can listen to tradition, and we can listen to other things, and we can determine what Christianity should look like. And we typically do that by adding things to what God said or by taking away things from what God has said. We can add to Scripture or we can mitigate, take away, say, well, that's not a big deal and skip over parts. And that is both of those are wrong. That's what Paul's warning us about here. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. There's one, according to human tradition. Two, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to to Christ. Now, there are two components, and the first one's pretty easy. Human tradition. We know what human tradition looks like. And some of these traditions, we can look at, and we can clearly discern them. When you come across a man-made rule that is not in Scripture, if you know the Word of God, you can clearly say that may be good for you, and that may be something that you follow, but that is not a command. That is not a, a, an obedience. That, that, is, that is something that you have added to Scripture. A lot of examples of this, and we'll get to some of those in a moment. But some of these are subtle. They start out as ways to aid us in mortifying the deeds of the flesh, in laying aside the flesh, in being conformed to the image of Christ. They're there to kind of help us in our walk with Christ, to assist us to set boundaries. You guys ever, ever, not you guys ever, we all who have kids or have responsibility for children will impose behaviors that they must do and behaviors that they must not do. We establish boundaries. We establish boundaries. And those are good things. They protect those who are very young and who are not wise enough to discern what is good and what is right and what is best. And a lot of times in the Christian life, we have these basic things that we say, All right, Christians do this, and they do this, and they do this, and they don't do this, and they don't do this, and they don't do this. And we make rules and traditions. Some of them are based upon scriptural truths. Some of them are just wise. Some of them are just good ideas. Here's the problem. When we allow human tradition to supersede the person and the reign of Christ in our life, when we become more attached to, to our behaviors or our perceptions then we, come to the, then we are to the person of Christ, then we're off track. And this can be subtle stuff. This can be something as simple as, all right, what Bible study method do you use? What is, your, what is your prayer methodology? Which evangelistic technique must you use? It may be something that we just have preferences on. This is the kind of music that honors Christ. No other kind, just this. Or this is the kind of dress that you have to have. Or this is the appearance that you have to have. And these are often culturally informed, often wrong, and you know that they're wrong when they're not translatable to other cultures. We just talked about the Philippines. When you go to the Philippines, if we were to apply some of the things, human traditions that we have established here in in the southern part of the United States, they don't translate to a foreign culture, whereas the eternal truths of God always do. Does that make sense? The eternal truths of God always do. Let me give you an example, and we'll go through this pretty quick. Mark chapter 7, we've got some folks who are stuck on human tradition. You know who they are? I want to engage you here. I don't want to put you to sleep this morning. This is too important. Mark chapter 7, we've got some folks stuck on human tradition. Who are they? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were following Jesus around, and the disciples were starting to eat, and the disciples did not wash their hands. Now, this was not a cleanliness thing. This is not mom saying, go wash your hands before you eat. This was a ceremonial washing in which the Pharisees, before they would take food, to symbolize their cleanness before God and their gratefulness for God's provision of this and also that they were eating food that God had declared clean. They would go through a ceremonial washing. What did Jesus and his disciples do? They didn't. They would grab the food and they would eat it. In Mark chapter 7... (laughs) They criticized Jesus, which I've got to tell you is a dangerous thing to do. But they criticized Jesus. The Pharisees, this is verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, hey, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat with defiled hands. And Jesus said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. By the way, here's the point. When you focus simply on behavior modification, when you focus simply on human traditions that deal with external expressions of religion, what happens is you can have the appearance of godliness and be rotten to the core inside. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hypocrisy, the word means to hide behind, is a mask that was used at the time. You can have the appearance. Just check this off the list. He's got the right haircut. He wears the right clothes. He uses the right translation of Scripture. He goes to the right church. He he gives money every Sunday. He does this. He does this. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm saying that you can do all those things and not know Christ. And Jesus, when confronted or asked or at least questioned by the Pharisees about this, He calls them hypocrites. He says, as it is written... This people honors me with their lips. They're saying the right things. But their heart, here's the issue, their heart is far from me. You get this, right? They're doing the right things. They look right. They're saying the right things. But there's no relationship with Christ. Here's what happens when we replace pursuing Christ with our religious traditions. Our hearts are... Brought back to the first floor on the escalator. Our hearts are separated. They're drawn away. And we begin, begin to put our faith in our behavior. We begin to think we can please God somehow simply by following a list of rules. We begin to think we can be, gain more of God's love or more of God's grace simply by choosing certain behaviors. He continues in verse 7, In vain do they worship me. Why? Because they teach us doctrines, what? The traditions of men. What do they teach his doctrine? The traditions of men. Things that they've added for a reason that they were never intended to be. Here's the problem. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. It is easier to simply follow. Anybody here a list maker? Some of you are you like making lists and checking stuff off your list? Sometimes we think godliness is, I got up this morning and I read my daily Bible reading. Check. I prayed and I prayed for at least seven different people. Check. I did this. Check. I did that. Check. I did this. Check. And we have reduced a relationship with the creator of the universe to a set of behaviors. Are any of those things bad? They are not bad. They are bad when that's what you put your faith in and that's what you put your trust in. All of these are good things, every one of them, but they are good things that have a purpose, and the purpose is that we might know Christ. The question is, what's going on? What's happening in the heart? And so I want to make sure, the second point in your outline is to make sure you understand the difference between good things and God things. To make sure you understand the difference between good things and God things. We heard a testimony from Alex Kendrick. The guy who uh, made the movie Flywheel, made the movie uh, Facing the Giants, made that series of, of Christian movies, War Room. And that was one of his points. His testimony was he had good plans, but God had other plans. And we need to make sure that we can differentiate between things that are simply supposed to be helpful and things that draw us closer to God. The Christian life is so much more than behavior modification. It's not about jumping through hoops. So be careful. That's the easy one. Now let's go back and look at the other one. Because the other one says the elemental spirits of this world or elemental principles of this world. What in the world does that mean? I looked it up in multiple translations, and I looked it up in the original language with, with the lexicon, so that I, uh, a dictionary, so that I could try to understand this more. And there's a lot of discussion about this. I study... Again, with study aids, I uh, use commentaries, and so I looked at uh, what a lot of different people had to say about this. And I want to come back and, and give you what I believe you means. So, uh, the NIV says the elemental spiritual forces of this world. The King James Version says the rudiments, the basics of this world. New American Standard, the elemental or elementary principles of this world, the elements of the world. These are the basic principles of the world. But what is Paul talking about when he's talking about the basic principles of the world? Well, he uses it, not only here, in this context, but in Galatians, in the same context, conveying the same truth. Elementary principles, human, well, human traditions we can spot pretty easy, but what if it's something that you can find in Scripture? Paul is talking to this, these folks about Old Testament covenant practices that they were depending upon under the new covenant rather than depending upon Christ. Let's see if I can make this clear. He, he explains this further down in verse 16, if you in Colossians chapter 2. Basic principles of the world include things like what he is talking about when he says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Does the Bible talk about food and drink? A A lot. It talks a lot about food and drink. It talks about what you can't eat, what you can't eat, what foods are clean, what foods are unclean, what to drink, all of those sorts of things. It goes on. With regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, does the Bible talk about those things? Absolutely. God established festivals. God established the Feast of Booths. God established the rules of the Sabbath. Does the Bible talk about those things? Absolutely. They're commanded by God in Scripture. Does that mean that we're to follow those today? Is that an imposed rule? For us today? Good question, right? Look at me with Galatians. Look with me in the book of Galatians. Here and in the book of Galatians, Paul is making a key point, something you and I need to grasp. It was essential in their day because they were closer, they had just Christ had just come, they were closer chronologically than we are, but it is no less essential now for us with the attack of the world against Christian morality, with the things that are taking place in churches around us. Paul is continually making it clear in his teaching that there were ceremonial rules, that there were basic principles, rudiments, elementary principles that were the function of religion that God used in the Old Covenant to point us to their completion and fulfillment in the New Covenant. In Galatians chapter 3... Verse 24 through 26. Paul is writing to the believers in the region of Galatia. he says, the law. And he's talking about here the ceremonial law. Circumcision, worship, those sorts of things. The, the law was our guardian. That word guardian means master. Or sometimes it's translated tutor. Alright? Our supervisor. It was our supervisor when? Until Christ came. Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That old principle that pointed to Christ, the sacrificial system, the ceremonial laws were completed in Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Look at, let's go to chapter 4. Let's go ahead to Galatians chapter 4 if you're there with us. Just the first part of this, I meant that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. All right. So here's the child of the owner, but he's a child. And now he is under, what, guardians and managers. It's the same word, the same phrase. Until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, talking about the past, were children enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Here, again, ceremonial laws and rules that set boundaries and pointed to their future fulfillment in Christ Jesus. That's why he goes on to say, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so we might receive the adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through Christ. Here's what he's saying. Don't be taken captive. Don't let your Christian life simply be being a good person, trying to please God. Does God want to be glorified in you? Yes. Are you held to the highest standard of morality? Yes, to the glory of God. But are you doing that so that God will love you more? God can't love you more. He loves you totally and completely. Are you doing that to find favor with God? Can I tell you that you can never depend upon your behavior to make you acceptable to God? In Colossians chapter 2, he makes it abundantly clear, there's only one way that we are accepted. What is that way we're accepted? It is in Christ Jesus. Here's the whole point about human tradition and elementary principles. He says some of you are defining your Christianity simply by The way that you've always done it. And you're just checking a list. But it's hypocrisy. Because there's no vitality. You're not pursuing Christ. Some of you are depending upon the old covenant laws. That found their completion in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you feel pretty good about yourself. You feel pretty righteous. Because you're watching your diet and you're following the Old Testament dietary laws, or because you're practicing circumcision on the males to to demonstrate that symbolism of, of, of being separated from the flesh and being separated to God as an identity and person in Christ. Or you're counting on the Sabbath. You, you say the Sabbath is to be holy and it's not Sunday morning when the believers met in the New Testament after the resurrection, but it's got to be on Saturday and it starts Friday night at 6 p.m. and it goes Saturday night at 6 p.m. and we can't do anything on that day. And you're allowing all of those rules that were in place that find their completion in Christ to define your Christian experience. And your Christian experience should be defined and can only legitimately be defined by your intimacy with Jesus. Can it be aided by boundaries? Absolutely. But they come not as a means of securing the approval of God. They come as an expression of thanksgiving because you are accepted in the beloved in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I hope we get this. I wish I was better at communicating so I could convey it. I'd love to spend a lot more time on this passage, but like I said, we're going to get through Colossians chapter 2 in two weeks, which is going to be a miracle, should it happen. But here's what I want you to understand. If you don't get anything else, get this. Point three, believe that you have been given fullness in Christ. Believe that you have been given fullness in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, the bookends for this passage are basically verse 7 and 8 In verses 16 and 17, and then the warning. What is our standard of acceptance? If it's not human traditions, and it's not elementary uh, principles, it's not Old Testament teaching, what is the basis for our acceptance in Christ? Who are you? Who is your identity in Christ? Look with me in verse 9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And by the way, it is my hope and expectation, this is going to put us on shouting ground. If you're here and you're a believer, this is really, really, really good news. This will be freeing and encouraging to you. Listen, verse 9. For in Him, Him is who? Speak up. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. How much of Christ was God? How much of God was in Christ? Okay, Christ is all. Next, next phrase, verse 10. And you have been filled in Him. When you came to Christ in repentance and faith, you know what He did? He filled you up with Him. How much of Christ is in you? That's harder, isn't it? Thank you. Louder, more enthusiastically. How much of Christ do you have? All of Christ. The fullness of deity is in Christ. The fullness of Christ is in you at salvation. He loves you as much as He's ever going to love you. You can't earn more of His love. He loves you totally and completely. Not that, that, not that there's a second tier. He loves you totally and completely. He accepts you based upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished. You have been filled. How, filled, by the way, means full. It means there's not room for more. Filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also, and by the way, you guys are grammarians, I know. What are the tense of these verbs? In Him you were circumcised. Tense. Completed action. past. With a circumcision made without hands. By the putting off of the body of flesh. By the circumcision. Who circumcised you? Of Christ. Having been buried with Him, present, future, past, past tense, having been buried with Him in baptism, no order here, by the way, this is when God placed you fully in the Lord Jesus Christ at salvation, in which you were raised with Him, present, future, past, past tense, were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead, and you who were dead, past tense, In your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, past tense, accomplished action, completed in Christ, made alive together with Him, having forgiven, past tense, all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross on Christ. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In him. Here's what I want you to understand. For some and for, far too many people who attend church every Sunday, their Christianity is simply divine, defined by a list of behaviors. And Paul says, I don't want you to be led off the trail. Here is Jesus on the trail. You should be walking hand in hand with him. You should be trusting in him. You should be seeking him. You should be keeping your eyes on him and there are spurs there are downhill trails that are easier to walk tradition is so much easier than pursuing a relationship so much easier than pursuing a relationship some of us live in fear and anxiety and critical spirits because we feel like we've got to somehow work and work and work and God is judging us grading us a b c d a, a, yeah d and f you know and somehow we've got to keep the favor of God can i just remind you this morning That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've been saved, you have been forgiven. If you have been saved, your sins have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. If you have been saved, you no longer need to work. You never did need to work. You can't work to earn the approval of a holy God in your flesh. Our best, our righteousness is this filthy rag you know what he did he chose you he selected you he cleansed you he washed you he made you his own and your identity should be all wrapped up in the person of the lord jesus christ and your sanctification should be pursued out of your love for him does this mean it doesn't matter how we live i got news for you The holiest, most active people I know are the people who understand grace the best. Who understand grace the best. Yes, we serve. Yes, we lay down our lives. Yes, we give and do. Yes, we have Bible study. Yes, we pray. But it's not simply an activity that we check off the list. It is a means of walking with Christ. It is a means of deepening our relationship with each other. We were eating, eating. We weren't eating. We were drinking coffee outside before the service and was talking to a group of very wise individuals around the table. And one of the things that we talked about was Mother's Day. And uh, I, I got to talk about Suzanne a little bit in a very positive way, uh, which is easy to do, by the way. But we were talking about gift-giving, and, and what are the things that we like. And Suzanne can confirm or deny this, uh, but, but she doesn't give me a list of things that she wants me to purchase for her. It's not that she has a list of material goods that she wants. Now, I'm happy to do that when, when she tells me what she wants. You should chuckle at that, by the way. It, it helps a lot w- when they tell me what they want. But you know what Suzanne values? You know what Suzanne appreciates? Expressions of love that show her that I value her and that I care for her. She likes willow tree angels. She likes cards that don't just have a printed card with my name at the bottom, but a note, an expression of my love for her. She likes time, face-to-face, communication. Now, when we were dating, she lived in Hattiesburg and I lived in New Orleans. And she would send me cards. And she'd send me letters and notes we would often go out to eat Sunday night after church, and as I would leave, yeah, I'd have a, a, a note or something to remind me of her presence. During the week while I was in school, yes, I was focused on, on school, but I was waiting to get back to Hannesburg. Now imagine if she came to New Orleans to visit me, and I was rereading those letters, cherishing those letters. And she says, I'm right here. I'm like, I'll get to you in a minute. I'm reading these letters. Wouldn't that be the most foolish thing you'd ever come across? It's not the letters, it's the personal relationship. Can I tell you that all of these things that we've been talking about are to be used to develop the relationship, but these elementary principles of the past and these human traditions should never supplant the intimacy of a loving relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my concern. That's the harder work. That requires the higher priority but we are promised the ability to do so as we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you're a believer, celebrate. He loves you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is Jesus? My one defense, He is my righteousness. He has satisfied the requirements of a holy God on your behalf. So don't let that be supplanted with anything less than knowing Him. Father, I want to thank You for this first warning that we have in Colossians chapter 2, that you are, we are complete in You, that You are all, and You are all that we need. And I thank You that because of that, You do change our behavior. You change our thinking. You change the way that we relate to people. You change the way that we relate to the world around us. But not as a means of getting to You, You came to us in the person of Christ. You have redeemed us. The fullness of God dwelt in Him, and He fully dwells in us. Help us to rest and trust in You. In Your name I pray. Amen.